for doing that this morning. What a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord. Um, it feels a little weird not turning or telling you to turn to the gospel of Mark after four or five months, but we will not be turning to the gospel of Mark this morning. I've already told you, Lord's willing, we'll be preaching through the book of Nehemiah uh, later this year, but I really got praying and God just really impressed on my heart uh, to look at what we're going to look at starting today uh, through the summer before we get to Nehemiah. Now last week was Easter, amen? And uh, we dressed up and we pulled up and we came in and we worshiped. Some of us said, I've got to go to church. Some of us said, we're going to church. Uh, some of them said, well, what are you going to do? I'm going to go to my church. I'm, I'm glad that we were at church. And so many ways we take that word church completely out of context. What is the church? Is it a building? Is it a group of people who have joined together in, in one place? Well, it's kind of all and it's kind of none of those. And we're going to look, Lord's willing, starting this morning, and we're going to do Sunday morning, Sunday night. So if you miss on a Sunday night, you'll just have to catch up somewhere else. We're going to do a survey through the Acts of the Apostles. Because last week was Easter. Well, what happens at the end of Matthew after the resurrection? First chapter of Acts. We have Pentecost. We have Jesus empowering and calling and we see the moving forward of what we know as the church. And so we're going to look at that beginning this morning. We're not going to go verse by verse. We're simply going to do a survey, one sermon per chapter. And you may come, don't waste your breath, and say, well, you didn't even get to the... Yeah, you can't do it all. Uh, W.A. Criswell which was much greater a preacher than I'll ever dream of being, I've got his complete work on the book of Acts where he preached through it and he, it took him seven years to preach through the book of Acts. We're going to do it through the summer. And so we're going to hit the high points and try to bring some clarity in our hearts. Let me ask you to do something. Now, you know... We stand up for music. We stand up for other things. We stand up and cheer if our team scores. So I'm going to ask you to do, some, do something with me this morning. Uh, and we'll start by an easy process. All right, so if I ask everybody in this room, and we did some surveys in the Sunday school class this morning, but I'm going to do some surveys right here. So everyone in this room... Uh, and if I ask, don't be that knucklehead that says, I don't like any of it. Just be quiet. So, if you like chocolate ice cream, rather than another... Chocolate's your favorite, raise your hand. Alright? Everybody that's not right with God, put your hand up. <laughs> Alright, everyone who has vanilla as your favorite, raise your hand. All right, now put it down. Now, some other crazy flavor, raise your hand. What? I ain't even going to repeat that one. Uh, and I'm sure we've got Rocky Road. Well, no, that's too old. Chocolate some chip and cookie dough. Chocolate chip and cookie dough. Uh, personally, I like coffee ice cream. That's one of my favorites. You ain't tried it. I'm just telling you. I, I turned on the entire Fuge Camp to making our own chocolate ice cream frappes. Take vanilla ice cream, go over to the coffee maker, run a little coffee in it, stir it up. Eli's over there. Y'all believe Eli? He's like, yeah. I literally had kids from all over the United States lined up and said, how did you do that? And so they're all lined up and... One of the leaders come and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm teaching them how to make a, chocolate, a coffee ice cream frappe. 
Oh, that's why we don't have any coffee left at the end of the day. <laughs> Did you see how many of opinions we had here? Right, now let me ask you to do something. Uh, if you like Mexican cuisine, Mexican food, stand up. All right. So we see some already do, do not like. Now I'm going to really slim it down. All right. How many of you do not like it really spicy? Sit down. All right. Now, how many of you left do not like guacamole? Sit down. All right. How many of you like it? It don't matter how it comes. Just stir it up and eat it with a spoon. If you don't, sit down. I hear you. Now, you see, and you all all be seated. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody has their personal preference. We like different flavors of ice cream. Some of us like Mexican food. Some of us don't. Some of us really don't like Mexican food that think we do. We like Tex-Mex. We like Americanized Mexican food. If you ever had a real tamale wrapped in a corn husk, and you understand that's real Mexican food. If you've ever been to La Casa in San Antonio, you know what real Mexican food is. Or eat in a cantina in Mexico, or uh, Hispanic food from Honduras, Nicaragua, but regardless, we have our own opinions. The problem is, we have our own opinion about church. But the Bible says that it's very clear God orders the church and it's His opinion that matters, right? Do you know why we have church splits? Do you know why we have roughly six, eight hundred members on our roll and we only have 147 in Sunday school? Do you know why only one third of all church members attend, will attend church today? They've walked an aisle, they've been baptized, they've joined by letter from somewhere else, they profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but Two-thirds of them had something more important than God today. Because of our mentality of what we think church is. A lot of us, if I ask you, I'd say, what does church mean to you? Well, the church gives us this, and church does this for us, and church this, and church... And we have... I think church ought to be contemporary. I think it all ought to be this way. And, and, and there's probably somebody, and if it is your opinion about us putting this black stuff up, that it's wrong, keep it to yourself, I don't care. I really don't. Because this is what we needed to do to, to move forward in being able to see it better on the TV. It's helped with the sound. Listen, we're not going to stay stuck in the 60s, the 80s. We're not going to be stuck in 2019. We're going to keep advancing, and we may change some things culturally, but I can promise you one thing, as long as I'm the pastor, the message will always remain the same. And it will never be your church, and it will never be mine. It will always be the Lord's. Now, we are a group of believers joined together as the assembly of believers at the location east side. But the church of the living God is all over the world where believers in Jesus Christ are. Whether it's in Asia, or whether it's in Europe, or whether it's in Australia, or whether it's in Central America, or whether it's above the border in Canada, wherever a believer is today, there is the church. When you go to work, there goes the church. When you go on the ball field, there goes the church. The problem is, we check out and we forget. Today, I want us to take a look at the church for the next, how many ever weeks it'll take. Now, honestly, if it went every week, twice a week, it'd be 14 weeks, but we know that there'll be next Sunday night VBS training. There'll be some other things during the summer, and so we will finish it up and then we'll head into Nehemiah. Don't y'all like that picture? It's pretty cool. Angela, I got all crafty. I got my Bible and opened it to Acts, put my glasses on it, took a picture of the old building. Proud of my picture. I want you to look with me in the book of Acts. 
the Acts of the Apostles. How many of you honestly, be truthful, how many of you knew the name of this book was not just Acts? That it's the Acts of the Apostles. You see, it's a misnomer when we just say Acts. What does that even mean? We don't think about it. And it's not A-X-E. It's not Acts. Even though the Acts was used, except it was always used on believers. It's what the believers did in the birth of what we now know as the church. It's the acts of those guys who walked with Jesus, who wouldn't believe until Jesus came into their midst, and they said, oh, it's the Lord. And God revolutionized their life after the resurrection. Today we come a week removed from the day we celebrate as Easter. Yet we say every day ought to be Easter in a believer's life. That's right. But every day ought to be Pentecost as well. Every day ought to be a day empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to be what God's called us to be. Three simple things I want to show you today. Three simple things. And if I get done quick, you write her down and cash it in. The truth that inspired the mission. That's the first thing we're going to look at today. The truth... The only truth that inspired the mission, the spirit that empowered the mission, and then the strategy to fulfill the mission. The strategy. God doesn't do things just chaotic. Sometimes the world looks like complete chaos. I can assure you of one thing. You want to know how you can lay your head down at night as a born-again believer and not worry yourself sick and lose sleep? Is know that God has never and will never lose control. God sees all things. God is above all things. God is all-powerful through all things. And even when man messes up and does that which is wrong, God can bring benefit and blessing out of it. Beauty for ashes. From that which was meant as bad, God can mean for good. God ever done that in your life? Now I'm going to tell you something. That's like my side life verse. Because I've messed up plenty. And God did something. I'm like, God, I, I, I told you, when God called me to preach... And for two years I ran as hard as I could go. And when I got pulled over that day and the police left and writing me a ticket and I thought my life was over, I, I really believe if I would have pulled back out and drove toward that stop sign that I could see, before I got there I would drive off into eternity. I felt the judgment of God and God's call on my life so real, I did not move. I did not crank that truck. I laid my head weeping over the steering wheel and I said, God... Your way cannot be worse than mine. Whatever you can do with this, have at it. That was my exact wording. And God poured into me and revolutionized my life like I never could have imagined. That's what happened with Peter. Cussing Peter. We're going to put some Trump names on them this morning. Doubting Thomas. Cussing Peter. I mean, obnoxious John and James, arrogant through their mothers, wanting their seats to be higher than everybody else. Every apostle had their own gig. They had their own problems. Listen, when you start looking around, do you hear how they play them songs? Hey, did you see how she was dressing? You see what he did over there? He didn't speak to me. He spoke to everybody else when he came in. And preacher, don't go to the back and shake hands. And blah, 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 blah. It's just vanilla or chocolate or pistachio to you. And you don't like that flavor. Get over it. This is not where we come to have our ego soothed and our felt needs met. This is where we come to do one thing and one thing only. To worship the risen Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's what happened at Pentecost. When we get over ourselves, we'll turn the world upside down. It took them 17 chapters to do it. The book of Acts stretches over 30 years. We read it in 28 chapters, and you can read it in a few hours, but it took 30-something years for it to happen. And we go from 
Peter cussing about this little girl that intimidated him because she kept saying, you're a Galilean, to him standing on the Mount of Pentecost and preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit so that others heard the gospel in their own language. This unlearned man along with all the others, don't tell me God can't do something in your life. First of all, the truth that inspired the mission. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, for the sake of it being a Sunday morning, I'm not going to give you the Acts facts this morning. We're going to do that tonight. We're going to do the, the historical settings. We're going to do some of the background. We're going to do the, that historicity tonight. So you're not going to miss that. It's going to kind of lay the stage for the rest of it. But this morning, I wanted to jump in headlong, I mean, feet first, wide open into this. And so, of all that Jesus, Luke said, began both to do and teach. You know Luke wrote this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which He was taken up after that He through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom He had chosen. To whom also He showed Himself alive after His passion or His suffering by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. First of all this morning I want you to realize when we look at the church we see the church we see it in the truth that inspired the mission. As we look at the mission what, what is it? And we write mission, vision, statements. I'm going to tell you what our mission is. Our mission is to be obedient to the command of Jesus Christ our Lord. To be faithful in the Great Commission. It's not the great consideration. It's not up to us whether we do it or not. God said do it or be found unfaithful. The truth that inspires this mission. Because listen, if we're going to be a church in action, we want to reach youth, we want to reach children, we want to reach our community, we want to reach families, we want to reach men, and we want to reach women. Well, we've got to understand that takes action. And to be a church in action means that we must be on mission. The mission of the church in action begins with the truth that inspired the mission. What is the truth that sets us apart from every other person that is not a Christian? What's the one truth that, that makes us different from the rest of the world? Any idea? Jesus is alive! Amen? We don't have to have a cross up here on Easter. We do not have to go to the tomb. We know based on the truth of the living Word that Jesus Christ is alive. Do you know that He showed Himself to over 5,000 eyewitnesses of whom many were historical writers that weren't even Christian? Do you know they weren't called Christian till 11 chapters later from where we're preaching this morning. We'll see that in how many ever weeks. Jesus is alive. This is the truth, church. Young people. You know, we say, oh man, we got the greatest youth director and we got the coolest preacher and we've got the greatest this and we got the greatest music and we got this and we got that. I'm going to tell you what makes us alive is that He is. If it's just about being away from adults and loud music and strobe lights at Fuge Camp that gives you the freedom to worship, then you've missed the point. It's the truth that Jesus is alive. If you come to be with friends, you come to because the preacher may get on to you for not coming. By the way, I, I want to say it, what a blessing it is. What a blessing it is today to look out and see Arnold with us. He's been through some health issues the last few weeks. And by the way, when he had to be rushed to the hospital, he was on his way to church. Isn't that right, Annette? Got to the door and he said, well, church, hospital. Maybe, maybe it's the hospital I'll go to this morning. Bruce, I'm glad to see you today. 
Bruce not feeling well either. I went to leave to go to work the other morning. And I saw Lice. I'm like, what in the world? And all of a sudden, the ambulance come pulling out. Rita behind the ambulance. And I just followed him straight. And it's great to have him. Others who have been sick. And other people who have been traveling. Others that, Frank, see you baptized last week. Man, I've been rejoicing in that all week. I called my buddy Mark that preached. I said, listen, you preach, you go back. A lot of times you don't get to hear what happened. I said, I've had two men. One that night that I was talking to when you left. And then another man that's a leader in his home and his children, uh, grown children, grandchildren, walked the aisle and said, I want to be that man of God. Uh, and, and he was about to cry. He was so overwhelmed in getting to hear the news of y'all guys stepping out in faith. Why did you do that? Not because he just preached an emotional message, but the fact that the truth is we can be alive because Jesus is. Do you know why my buddy Mark can rejoice even in the face of losing his father? Because he knows his father's alive in the presence of Jesus because Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. Am I right? The apostles saw that. He was seen. But not just in his person, but his power. It, it tells us that. In this, that they had seen by many infallible proofs. That word infallible means without error. There is no mistaking when somebody can't walk for 38 years and Jesus raises him up. There's no mistaking that. Y'all hear me? How many of you have seen the movie Breakthrough? You got kids, don't go. Unless you want to squall the whole time, then go. But it's a great, true story that is miraculous. Where a boy falls through the ice and is under for 20 minutes. Then transferred to the hospital. and it, So it's however long before they finally step back. They have... Give him CPR till they can't give any more. And some of you first responders know exactly what I'm talking about. Where you don't want to stop, your heart don't want to stop, but your hands and your head says it's time to stop. And they stopped and the doctor looked at the clock. Of course, it was pushed up for the movie, I'm sure. But the true story, they stop everything. And they prepare to call it. And declared the time of death. And his mother comes in to say her goodbyes according to the daughter. And she began to call out to God over this boy. And his heart began to beat again. There's work, there is absolute testimony from doctors, nurses, both saved and lost. And his parents and others who were at there. Uh, uh, EMTs, firemen who were standing around and saw this boy's heart begin to beat again. You don't tell me God doesn't do miracles? Have you ever seen God do a miracle? I have. If, you're, if you have not, if you've not seen God do a miracle, then I challenge you to sit down with me and come to my house, Becky permits, and I want to get out the buckets and buckets of pictures now I'm not being funny. And I want to show you who I was before I met Jesus. And I want to show you who your pastor once was. And who he is now. Not that I'm any great feat or anything, but I'm telling you, except by the grace of God go I. Have you seen, Come on, church. If we're going to tell the world Jesus is alive, then we've got to believe it first. If we're going to say, oh yeah, He's a great God, He does miracles, and He hung on the cross, He's out of the empty tomb, then we've got to live like we believe it. There's two types of atheists. Do you know this? There are intellectual atheists. An intellectual atheist says, I believe there is no God. And anyone who believes in God is living in a fallacy. And they're living in a dreamland. And this God is simply a crutch, an emotional, mental crutch to help them get through the day. That's what an 
intellectual atheist says, I believe there is no God. Not that I can't know if there's a God. That's an agnostic. But an atheist says with great pride, I know there is no God. But do you know what a practical atheist does? You know what he believes? He or she believes there is a God. And they come to church Sunday in, Sunday out. They sit in Sunday school rooms. They teach Sunday school. They are part of deacon bodies. They take up offerings. They sing in choirs. But when they go into the world, they live like God does not exist. That's a practical atheist. That's where two-thirds of the church is today. Living like we don't need to worship. I don't need to go to church to worship. Yes, you do. Because in the simple fact of not going, you're disobeying the Word of God. And in disobeying God is not to worship because He says, if you love me, you will keep my command. He was seen. He was heard. Look what He said in Acts chapter 4 verse 20. The apostles Peter and John, you know, when they got they were being chewed out, beaten, told to shut up, get out of town. They said, listen, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They wouldn't make it. They said, listen, we're not bright. You know, mama never called us sunshine. We're not the smartest person in the room. We don't understand the theory of relativity. We're just old fishermen. We just change which kind of fish we're going to catch. But we didn't go to seminary. We didn't go uh, to an Ivy League school. We didn't go to the University of Jerusalem or sit under the greatest scribes and Pharisees. We did, however... See and hear what Jesus had to say. And He is the truth. And what we're going to say and what we're going to do is simply what we have seen and heard Jesus do. Now, that's where we go back to the old bracelet. What would Jesus do? And it shouldn't be just a euphemism. It shouldn't be just some kind of little trinket. We ought to live our life like that every day. What would Jesus do? That's what the apostles did. What, what would Jesus have me to do? What, what would Jesus say right here? Would He just be quiet? Sometimes you know Jesus just didn't say anything. He didn't say anything back to Peter, uh, to Pilate most of the time. So don't you have anything to say? Don't you understand? I've got the power of your life to save it or to take it. He said, you need to understand now. I don't mean to be arrogant, but... You don't have any power unless my Father gives it to you. When they went to stone the woman, he just drew, drew in the dirt. We need to study to be quiet. Listen with our head and with our heart. They heard Jesus. Let us hear Him. Jesus is alive, church. But look what He says in verse 11. He said, You men of Galilee... This was the angel of the Lord. Let's just back up to verse 9. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly, they are just standing there like a deer caught in the headlights. They just could not believe what they just witnessed. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Look, are we standing there with our mouth wide open? Just staring in his face? You know, some folks would drown in a rainstorm. There's a how's that? And we stand around and we're just you know, we're, we're taken back in worship. We're taken back when God does something, we're just like, you know, I don't know. Stop staring into space and look into the face of Jesus. Look into what God wants us to see. And that's the fact that Jesus is real. We've established that, right? Amen, church? Yes. Jesus came to earth, the Son of God, 
son of man, servant unto man, live without sin. Stop me if I say anything wrong. Living without sin, being born of a virgin, died on a cross for the sins of the world, buried in a borrowed tomb, hallelujah, gloriously, early on the Lord's day, first day of the week, resurrected. Am I good? We good? Showed himself to the two on the road to Emmaus. Showed himself to his family there at the tomb when they thought he was the gardener. Showed himself to Thomas and the others in the inner room when they hid. Showed himself to all those on the Mount of Pentecost because they're all standing there watching him. Then listen to what he said. He told them, who was it told Mary she was going to have the Messiah? An angel? Who was it that told them that he was not in the tomb but was risen? Pretty uh, reliable source, would you agree? Would y'all all agree? If an angel came, showed up, and tell you something, we have a good reason to believe him. Well, listen to what he tells us here. Calready, this ought to make you shout right here. He said these two cats showed up. He said, hey, stop staring into space. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you have seen him go up into heaven. Jesus is returning, church. I don't think y'all heard me. Jesus is coming back. Start looking. When's the last time you looked? When's the last time you got up in the morning, made yourself a cup of coffee, instead of just looking out at the brown thrashers, looking for worms, you looked out and kind of looked up and said, you know what, Lord, is it today? Is it today? I'm finding myself, now I'm going to be real honest with you, I'm finding myself more often these days saying, even so, Lord, come Jesus. The things that I see going on in the world, the the abuse. Do y'all realize that hundreds of Christians, hundreds of the members of the body of Christ lost their life worshiping on Easter morning last week in Sri Lanka? They came in and blew up believers. Do you know every believer in Sri Lanka says, we renounce Jesus, just don't hurt us? No. No. They didn't do that. Any more than the apostle says, I'm sorry, we we can't do that anymore. No, beat us all you want. But it's better to obey God than man. He said that in Acts. Start looking for the Savior. Not only the truth that inspired the mission we see in these verses, but look at verse 8, the Spirit that empowered the mission. You know what we're missing in the church? The power of the Holy Ghost. You know what's happened? In the 60s, there was a great movement, the Jesus movement. And a lot of it came through Pentecostal churches and the charismatic churches. And God just blew through those churches. But you know what? We don't necessarily agree with their beliefs on some of those spiritual gifts. And that's all right because, listen, we can worship differently, but they're not foundational principles of salvation. The problem is, as Baptists, we've become afraid of the Holy Ghost moving in our lives. We're afraid that the Holy Spirit may make us do something that won't be very respectable. Well, you can do whatever you want. I ain't washing nobody's feet. Well, you just screamed who you are. Because Jesus did. Y'all hear me? I ain't going to Guatemala. There's plenty of people around Claxton need to be saved. Yeah, you're the one that won't go tell them. Ones who are telling people in Claxton are the ones who want to go to Guatemala. That's the truth. I don't understand why we got to go out of the country. You're fixing to because God's Word said so. You see, the power of the Spirit in our mission is to internalize the gospel. See it for what it is. Experience Him for who He is. He said, when you shall receive power, what kind of power? 
Is it going to be because of Zeus sending down the thunder and the lightning? Is it going to be because the Avengers all put their rings together and we got all the stones lined up and now we can change the world? Don't give me any, any news about it yet because I hadn't seen it and I want to. So I'll punch you in the mouth if you tell me how that movie goes. But I can promise you that's not the kind of power he's talking about. It's not Power Ranger power. It's not Godzilla power. It's not nuclear power. It's power that none of those can even touch. It's the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost can literally cause you to speak languages that other people can hear. It can empower men to raise others that are dead back to life. The power to internalize the Gospel is to believe who He says He is. And when that Word is read through our eyes, placed into our head, and it begins to sink into our heart, the Spirit being alive as a two-edged sword begins to cut away the doubt and the fear. And God grasps us. And God empowers us. And we say, oh, that's what the Bible means. You know how you believe most of the Bible? You live it. When you experience something and God makes it alive, as it is alive, it, this Word's alive. Amen? I know a whole lot more about it than I did when I got saved. How about y'all? And it's not just from reading it, it's from experiencing the problems in my life and then searching the Scriptures to see because I believe there's an answer to all my problems. And it's found in Jesus. Why do I need to read the Bible? Every I'm going to tell you, I told you this. The, the motivation may have been wrong, but the first time I ever read the Bible all the way through from Genesis to the maps was because I was afraid there may be one verse I'd not read that would change my life. It was selfish, I know. But it's also right because God says, know the Scripture. Handle it well. Write it upon the tables of our heart. Hide your word, God, in my heart that I may not sin against you. That your word will be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That we may study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. The power of the Spirit should be internalized in every believer. That we be spirit-filled. And I'm going to tell you, when you're spirit-filled, you can change your little corner of the world. Marriages, relationships, finances, emotions, health, jobs, team. That doesn't mean you're going to win all the games. It means that you'll realize the games is not the primary focus of life means you can walk off with class. So God didn't mean for that to happen. But I'm going to tell you something. God never changes His Word to fit your ideas. If you ever come to me and say, but I believe God just understands. I'm going to tell you what God understands. Exactly what He said. And He's not going to change the Word to fit your emotional or your mental hoping and wanting. God created two genders, and that's all there's going to ever be. God created man for a woman for man, and that man should be with woman, and that they should procreate and have men and women to continue, and that's all that God ever has created. Everything else is a figment of our imagination. Does that mean God loves them any less because they're misled? No. We just need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to tell them God loves them and there's a way out. The power to evangelize. This is being a Spirit-led proclaimer. Do you know pastors and preachers are not the only person God called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? There are 23 going to Guatemala June 1st. 23. 17 or 18 of our church members... And then the rest are students from Trip McConnell University. 
there's one boy from Truett that's a ministries, ministry major. Andrew is a bivocational youth minister. I am a vocational pastor. You know what everybody else is? Community workers, students, retired lunchroom ladies, homeschool teachers, high school coaches. But you know what? Every single one of them realizes one truth. God called them to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Simply tell others what God has done for you. That's all you have to do. You don't have to tell them what this message said explicitly. All you have to do is tell people, hey, this is what Jesus did to me. You may not have been seven. You may have been twelve. You may have not been saved in a revival meeting. You may have been saved driving down the road and had to pull over. You may have been saved in vacation Bible school. You may have been saved out behind the barn. I don't know. And I don't care. I'm just thrilled to death you met Jesus. And people will be glad to hear your story. Tell them yours. Don't think you've got to make up, concoct, and embellish. You don't have to act like you were strung out on heroin and you as a member of the meanest motorcycle club they ever been. Listen, you know what some of the greatest testimonies are? That people were raised in a Christian home and God saved you the first time the Spirit drew you and God has empowered you to live a life for Him. That's as powerful as any testimony. Be a Spirit-led proclaimer. Ask the Lord, God, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? Because you know what He'd have you say. Jesus saves. He said, stay here and I will give you power. It's not for you to know the seasons, but you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What did Jesus say? I'm not going to be with you always, but when I leave, I'm going to give you the comforter. The Holy Spirit of God, right? John 14, 15, 16, 17, we see the transition. We see Jesus preparing for His departure and the arrival of the Holy Spirit of God. The power to evangelize begins in us. The power to globalize the gospel. To globalize the gospel. Is spirit-driven missions. He said, when we are empowered by the Spirit of God, you'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. With the power of God, we can globalize the good news of Jesus Christ. Every week I look to see how many views we have of our worship services on Facebook. We've had as many as six, seven hundred in a week. On average, we somewhere around two to two forty, I think. And I just wonder how many that are not here that are experiencing getting to be part of worship. That may be in sick, be sick, may be in home. Uh, uh, at home, be a shut-in, may be unhealthy for whatever reason, but they're experiencing. The preached gospel and the worship of Jesus Christ. The Word of God is global. And I'm telling you, church, it's, uh, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning. It, when we get down there, and we'll, we are going to have several interpreters but still, there'll be a time where somebody will run up to you and they're trying to tell you something and you're trying to tell them something and we laughed about it this morning. No, it does not matter how much you make your English. My kids make fun of me on this. No matter how much you try to make yourself sound like you're speaking their language, you're still speaking English. And no matter how slow you say it, it will not convert. It will not miraculously change. It's still your language and their language. But the universal language is the Spirit of God that overcomes a world of doubt, a world of fear, 
A lot of you who are stepping out on faith, you're still scared about going. I get it. Going to an unknown place, a strange place, eating different kinds of stuff than we're used to. There are no McDonald's in Solala. But I can promise you, you need a table, Andrew and I did, you're not going to want McDonald's. It's global. And we see the strategy. And we see it starting in chapters 1 through 7, as he talks about in verse 8. We are to start, and he does not say this is progressive, by the way. That's been taught in a lot of places. But they're literally concentric circles. The circle of influence of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. And they are concentric, but they overlap. It doesn't mean we're going to reach all of our Jerusalem before we move on to Judea. Y'all follow me? So in chapters 1 through 7, he basically deals with us reaching our Jerusalem. That's what the apostles did. And what is our Jerusalem? It's our community. It's Claxton. And when I say Claxton, I'm not talking about the city limits. I'm talking about Claxton. You know, we call our high school, really it's Evans County High School. Right? We only have one, but we call it Claxton. Pinewood, it's not, it's in Evans County. But is that all the students that go? No. They're from counties all over. A lot from Tattnall. And they're, I've heard of them being from, uh, from Bryan and all the way down at Jessup. And listen, your realm of influence is your Claxton. It's where God's placed us. That's our Jerusalem. Where you live every day. Where you drive every day. Because your hub is right here. That's our Jerusalem. It's at the feed store. It's at the supply house. It's at the grocery store. It's at the gas pumps. It's wherever you are. That's your Jerusalem. And then Judea. That's Georgia. You know there's over 3,600 Georgia Baptist churches. I just looked down. Marilyn, I didn't see you sneak in. I'm thankful. It's been since the second week of December since she's been able to be with us. Man, I'm so glad to see you. I'm ready to see Miss Betty too. 3,600 Georgia Baptist churches. I mean from Pleasant Grove number three to the big ones and the big hubs and everything in between. That's our Judea. And when we do our ministry fair, I've got some guys coming in, one I've talked to you about, that will be talking about Georgia Baptist uh, disaster relief, how we can be part of missions through our Georgia Baptist mission board. The man who stood that Thursday and preached at our stakeout, a Georgia Baptist missionary. Last year on our Valentine's uh, couples dinner, Harris Malcolm and his wife, Georgia Baptist State Missionary coming to speak this Thursday morning at our Evans County-wide National Day of Prayer Breakfast. If you're interested in going to that, see me after church or see me tonight. We'd love for you to sit at our church's table. But you need to come. Oh, I meant to tell you, don't be one of them Baptists. Just write it down and come tell me. But then where do we go? We go to Samaria. You ever been outside the state of Georgia? It's a big, beautiful country. I want to go out west. I've never been out with Colorado as far as I've been. And I've been, and not even all the way to Utah. I went out I 70 through Eisenhower Tunnel, out through Glenwood Springs and Vail and Aspen and Parachute and Rifle and Silt and uh, almost to Grand Junction. That's as far as I've been. Out west. I've been all the way up through New York and up in that area, but I've never been all the way up to where all the liberal, I mean, all the people live in the New England states. But I've seen the beautiful mountains of the Rockies. They don't compare to the Smokies. We can grow trees on our mountains. They can. That's some pitiful dirt out there. 
except for the minerals. It's a beautiful land. But you know what? There's people stuck in every little corner. You ever ride down through the countryside and you think, good grief, I can't believe they put a house right there. But people live all over and they need Jesus. Church, they need Jesus. That's why we give the cooperative program, right? A lot of you don't even know what that means. But those 3,600 adds up to over 45,000 in North America, Southern Baptist churches. And when we give cooperatively and it all goes into one pot, then we support over 5,000 missionaries in our Samaria through the North American Mission Board. We support over 5,000 through the IMB, International Mission Board, in the ends of the earth everywhere. That's how the strategy unfolds through this book we'll go through today. The strategy is to fulfill the mission. Not get fixated on the strategy, but fulfill it. As they come to the instruments, I want to ask you, number one, do you remember who Jesus is? Number one, He's alive. Number two, when's the last time you, you remembered Hey, He's coming back again. Just like Easter, He is resurrected. He went home. But one day, church, He's coming back. Are you looking for it? Are you ready for it? Are we being empowered by the Spirit of God to be everything God wants us to be? Right now, the Spirit of God wants to move into our lives, but we become so busy and hectic by everything around us. I want to ask you, is the Spirit given freedom in your life to be what He wants to be in your life right now? Are you following, are you saying yes, Lord, period? Yes, Lord. Are you willing to go and be and do and to give to make sure that the strategy that God set forward through the power of the Holy Spirit is fulfilled to the ends of the earth. Whatever. As we start into the book of Acts, may this be our prayer. Father, may Your will be done that we see, experience, and fulfill our role as part of the church of the living God. May we live it in Jesus' name. Stand and come come to Jesus. You need to be saved. You need to be baptized to show everybody you're part of the church. It's okay. God loves you and He wants you. He's got you. You come on to Jesus.